Welcome to the Community Hope Podcast. We exist to share hope with more people in more places. For more information on this podcast or our church, please visit communityhope.org. Now stay tuned for our Sermon of the Week. We are, we are uh, continuing on in our series today of Hope Has a Name. And we've been looking at a, a prophecy that was given over 700 years ago from Isaiah. And so it's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And uh, if you would give me just a moment, you know I'm helpless without my television being in the right spot. And right now it is not in the right spot. So we're going to have to change that. I don't know. Okay, see, now I can preach. I couldn't preach with it over there. I got to preach with it right here. Okay. So we are continuing on in this series. And so from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, here is the verse that we've been looking at. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And it said that he would have different names. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So week one, we looked at Jesus being a wonderful counselor. Week two, we looked at Jesus being a mighty God. Today, we are going to look at Jesus being our Everlasting Father. But here's the interesting thing. Wonderful Counselor, that sounds great, but that doesn't necessarily be really personal or evoke emotions within us. Same thing with mighty God. Everlasting Father is a different thing altogether. Because, wait, I'm just curious, how many of you have a father? Okay, good. I just want to make sure that's how things still work, right? Yeah, so we, we all have a father, and so here's the problem is that we can begin to view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father. And being someone who's a dad of four, I know that I constantly fall short of who I want to be as a dad. And the thought that my children could view God through the lens of their earthly father at times scares me. Because I constantly fall short. I'm constantly impatient and I lose my temper and I don't always do the things that I want to do and so the problem is is that we can tend to view God through a earthly lens now I don't know what your dad is like I'm am very blessed I have an incredible father but my father would still tell you that he would felt the same pressure like he felt short he felt short as well like that somehow so for me viewing my heavenly father No problem. For some of you, that may be a challenge. Because if we read onto God the attributes that we've seen played out as a father, that could be a problem. For some of you, you think of God as an everlasting father, and you think of your own dad, and you think of someone who you were never, ever good enough for. No matter how hard you try, you could never get his approval. We can read that onto God, because that was our experience with our earthly father. Being, I had 17 years working with teenagers before I became a lead pastor, and I can't tell you how many students that I interacted with, especially young men, who said, I, I'm, ne- I'm never ever good enough for my dad. And we can read that onto God and think that God's the same way, that somehow we're never ever good enough for him. For some of you, you, you may have had an earthly father who was always angry. And you just walked on eggshells around him because he was just the littlest thing might set him off. You might read that onto God as well and think God's really angry at you. 
the way you've lived your life. And every bad thing that comes into your life, it's somehow punishment from God because God's angry with you. You can view your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, when you hear the term father, you think of someone who was just never there. Maybe through divorce or through whatever, you just didn't really see your dad that much. Maybe he worked all the time, I don't know. But for you, when you think of father, you just think of someone who's just never there. And when we view the, our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father, it can create a problem because you may have the same idea of God, that God's just someone who's just not there. And that somehow you have to get his attention. This can be a challenge for, you, for us. So I just want to recognize that emotion right off the bat. That when we view our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father, it can be a challenge. But Jesus came... 2,000 years ago to reveal to us the character of the Father. To show us that He's the best dad that you'll ever have. And so today I want to show you a story, a parable that Jesus told to reveal to us the character of our everlasting Father. If you're familiar, if you've been around church very long, you probably have heard of this story. It's a story that's referred to as the prodigal son. But I want to propose to you today that this story really isn't about a prodigal son. See, the word prodigal, it means wasteful, excessive, extravagant. Today, I want to propose to you today that the story Jesus is telling us is actually not about a prodigal father, about a prodigal son. It's actually about a prodigal father. And so we're going to be looking at a story in which Jesus told us. He tells us, we see Matthew records this for us. I say Matthew, but then all of a sudden I look up here and it's, it's actually Luke. So I have to correct myself as I preach. Luke chapter 15. Jesus told them this story. Now I want to emphasize that. Because so much of what's recorded in the Gospels actually happened. Jesus actually said it. Jesus actually did it. This is a story that he told. So we have to understand it in that context. This isn't something that actually happened. It's a story that Jesus is telling to Show us who God is. A man had two sons. So the characters are very simple. It's a father, a son, and an older brother. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. This was a very shocking way to start a story. I mean, it's a shocking way to start a story in 2020 in America. I mean, if my 17-year-old son came to me and said, Dad, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my money now. You might be seeing, visiting me in the Palachie County Jail. I'm just saying. Okay? Can you imagine anything more disrespectful to say to your dad than, Hey, I don't want to wait till you die. I want my money now. I mean, that's a pretty shocking way to start a story, isn't it? It's shocking now, but it was even more shocking then. Because respecting your parents, honoring your parents in the Jewish culture, it was, it was actually one of the top ten. Okay, ten commandments. Honor your father and mother. They were trained. In fact, do you know what Jewish law was? If you, if you were defiant and disrespected your parents, you could be stoned to death for it. Any parents think we need to bring that law back? I don't think, I'm just guessing they probably didn't have a whole lot of problem with back talk, okay, back then. 
Okay, just, dad just had to pick up a rock. Do you really want to go? No, I don't know. I don't know how it worked. That's not the law today, but it's probably a good thing. I don't know that any of us would have survived till adulthood. Let's just be honest. But this is how Jesus starts the story. This young, insolent son says, I want my share of the estate now. That's a shocking start to the story. But here's the crazy thing. It gets even more shocking. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I mean, it was shocking enough that this young man would be bold enough to have the audacity to ask this thing. But now, I'm guessing that this is the point when all his audience goes, the dad agreed to it? Are you kidding me? That's the next part of the story because I thought it was, okay, and the father killed the son. Like, that's where I thought the next, you know, where this should go. But it's not. It says the father agreed, and he divides his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. This one detail is important. You know why it took a few days? Because, see, the father didn't have, like, piles of cash lying around. The father actually had to go and sell property to be able to do this. Imagine how the father's heart grieved as he's out selling the property to come up with the money to give to his rebellious son who's saying, I want my money now. And then once he gets his money, he's gone. He takes off. It's not like he starts a business, you know, to honor the dad's sacrifice. No, he says, I'm getting away from far away from dear old dad as possible. Do you remember thinking this young man, 18, like oh, that's mom and dad are the ones that are keeping me down? This young man thought that the secret to his happiness was getting his money and getting out of town. That's the secret to my happiness. I'm going to get my money and I'm going to get out of town. And that's exactly what he did. And there, he squandered his estate with loose living. I read this verse in a different version because this gives a very powerful picture to what he did. This word squandered, it was literally like you're, you're driving down the road and you take the money and you throw it out the window. That's what squander means. It's like he just couldn't have been more wasteful with it. And notice here, it's not this word his doesn't mean the son, it means the father. He took his father's life savings and threw it out the window. Wasted it on loose living. This is where this term prodigal comes from. Extravagant, excessive, wasteful. That's what the son does. About this time, his money ran out. Isn't that the way it always works? A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. You know, it was interesting. When he was walking into the club with piles of cash, he had all kinds of friends, you know? He had all the latest clothes. He was driving the finest camel he could find. I don't know. I don't know what he had. But he was living it up, you know? He had all kinds of friends when the dollar bills were flowing, but then when the money ran out, his friends ran out. Have you experienced that? Famine hits the land, and he begins to starve. This story turns rather quickly. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. This is another time in the story where we have to pause and not read our 2020 context onto the story. 
We have to understand this, the context for which it's written. Because 2020 in Iowa, we think, well, good for him. He went and got a job with a pig farmer. The kid's finally doing something right. He's going to go work for his money. No, but see, in this culture, for a Jew to go work for a Gentile, and not just go work to it, it says this term here actually means he sold himself as a slave. So all, again, all the Jews who are listening to this story are appalled. This young Jewish boy goes and wastes his father's life savings. Then he goes and sells himself as a slave to a Gentile farmer, and he's hanging out with pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. You know your life is pretty low when you're looking at pig slop going, mmm, that looks good. Life has turned you, dealt you a bad hand. When you're looking at the pig slop going, oh, if only I could have a little bit of that. That's the depths to which this young man has fallen. This is kind of the turning point in the story. Because he thought his happiness was just getting the money and getting out of town. He got the money and he got out of town, but then the money ran out. And so now he finds himself as low as you could get, starving to death, wallowing with pigs. And so now, <laughs> look at this last, but no one gave him anything. Everyone. Even the man he sold himself as a slave to. He can hear him off in the distance. The master's house, they're eating well. And here I am sitting in the pig slop. And they won't even give me anything to eat. He has gotten to the bottom. When he finally came to his senses. When he finally came to his senses. I find that fact. Because I just try to think of what did the young man go through. He's sitting there and he can smell himself, you know? I smell like a pig. He can feel this gnawing in, the, in his empty stomach. He hasn't eaten for days. He looks down at his tattered clothes. He, like I said, his, his master won't take care of him. He finally comes to his senses. He looks around and goes, this did not work out the way I had planned. I thought I was finally going to be happy. This is a moment where I think we can identify with the young man. We went out and ran out and chased something that we thought was going to make us happy. Instead, it winds up destroying our lives. Think about every alcoholic or every drug addict or every you fill in the blank that's went out and chased something. And I know that we can identify with this young man. We went out and chased something that we knew was going to bring us happiness. And instead, we find ourselves broken, ruined, at the end of our rope, rock bottom. It didn't fill us up like we thought it would. I think, I don't think I know that there's, there's been a time in your life where you can relate to this young man's story. Maybe you actually physically ran away. I don't know. But he finally comes to his senses, and this is what he says to himself. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. This is dumb. I made a bad choice. This is crazy. 
So he changes his mind. He realizes, you know what? My dad teaches his service better than this. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. He finally owns up to what he has done. I've sinned. And so he begins, he starts writing a speech. This is what I'm going to say to dad when I go home. He's sitting there in a pig slop. He's writing a speech. This is what I'm going to say. You ever made a speech in your head? You know, like, when I see this person, this is what I'm going to say. And he's, he's thinking about it. This, this is what I'm going to say. Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And then listen to the next thing that he says. He says, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. If I can get this to work. Can you go ahead and go, ahead and go to the next slide? I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You know, I've read this story so many times. You know what I find fascinating? It's at this moment where he doesn't feel like he's worthy to be a son. Was he worthy of being a son when he asked for the inheritance? Was he worthy of being a son when he was wasting it all on, on parties and prostitutes? It's not till this moment when he realizes, I'm not worthy of being called a son. And again, this is what's sad and what's unfortunate is that so many of us, we've had this experience with God. We've rebelled, we've ran away, we've sinned, we know we've turned our back against God. And now we think, I'm just going to go become a slave. We think that that's somehow God wants, that God wants us to be a servant. God just wants us to serve him. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. So that's just what he decides he's going to say to his dad. So he returned home to his father. And here's the next part that I want you to see that that I I love this. Of what? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Why would the dad see his son coming from such a distance? Because the father was looking Every day he went out and he looked today. Could today be the day that my son come home? Wait a minute. I see somebody. Is that him? Is that my son? His father was looking off in the distance, waiting every day for his son to come home. Waiting. My son. Now, his son came home just like that. Head down. He probably didn't look as nice as Blake does today. Let's just be honest. But his father saw him. And his father's filled with emotion. Let me ask you, if you were the father, what emotion would you be filled with in that moment? Would you be filled with anger? Would you be filled with rage? Would you be filled with bitterness? Jesus comes to show us a picture of the father. The father's filled with what? Love and compassion when the son begins to return home he's filled with love and compassion and there's someone in this room that needs to hear that today that when you were far from God he was still filled with love and compassion for you when you were spitting in his eyes saying I don't believe in God anymore I'm going to go do what I want he was filled with love and compassion for you and he's just waiting for you to take one step home one step home And he ran to his son. 
That's what I love that. The son doesn't run to the father. The father runs to the son. It's the only time in scripture we see God running. Who does he run to? His lost kids. That's who he runs after. The son comes home dragging. The father runs to meet his son. And he greets him. Does he say, man, what have you been doing? You wasted all my money, didn't you? No, he's filled with love and compassion. He embraces him. And he kisses him. Don't worry, I won't, I won't demonstrate that part. <laughs> That's the only reason Blake agreed to do this. Look at this. You have to see this. All of this is driven by the father. The son doesn't run to the father. The father runs to the son. The son doesn't hug the father. The father hugs the son. The son doesn't kiss the father. The father kisses the son. In fact, it says he falls upon his neck and he showers him with kisses is what it literally says. Again, I know that makes us all uncomfortable. But that's what he did. What is Jesus trying to show us? A picture of a father. A picture of the father's heart towards you. That when you're far away, when you come home, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. It's just love. He runs to him. He embraces him. And he kisses him. That's how the father reacts. And then the son goes into his, his speech. The speech that he's been writing. He, now he starts to go into it. Go, go to that next verse. Yeah, this, this is no longer working. And so he, I, I'm guessing maybe he even got down on his knees. Thank you, Blake. Father, I sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He starts giving his speech. Because he can't believe it. He can't believe that his dad would run to him. He can't believe that, that it's, he thinks it's all about his speech. So many times, isn't that what we think? That we got to come up with this really repentful prayer to get God's attention? Look at what the father does. The father doesn't even listen to it. He says, quick, quick, go get a robe. Go get a robe. Go get not just any robe. He says, go get the finest robe in the house. You can get, yeah, you can get up. Go get the finest robe in the house. Who would have the finest robe in the house? The father. He goes, go get my robe. Go get my robe and put it on him. Go get the finest robe in the house. That's the finest robe I could find on Amazon. Go get the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Again, you got to see this. Look at what the Father God does for you. He covers our worst with his best. Yes, this is exciting because do you know what the sun is covered in? The filth of pigs. He smells like a pig. And the father says, cover him. Quick, get the finest robe. Go get my robe. Go get my robe. You have to see this, the heart of the father. God takes your sin and he covers it and his righteousness. I'm so glad he did that for me. I'm not worthy to stand on this stage and preach to you today. The only reason I get to preach is because God has covered my worst with his best. He has covered my, my worst with his best. 
Go get a rope and put it on him. But he doesn't stop there. He says, go get some sandals. Go get some sandals and put them on his feet. Because, well, again, we didn't prepare for it. No, leave those off. We'll just pretend. You don't have to take your boots off. But He comes home barefoot. Again, this is, this is symbolic. Do you know what they did to prisoners of war back then? They took their shoes. Do you know who didn't wear shoes? Slaves. When you walked into someone's house, you know what you took off? You took off your shoes. He says, put, sho- put sandals on his feet. My son, who was gone, is returned. Because you know what the father said? He said, I don't need any more servants. I was desperate for my son to come home. I don't need any more servants. You're not going to be my servant. Put a robe on him. Put sandals on his feet. And then he says, put a ring on his finger. This is like ownership. It's, yeah, seriously, it's almost like a wedding ceremony. He says, put my ring on his finger. There is, look at the depths to which he goes to showing you are mine. You are my child. You've never stopped being my child. You're home. And every one of these things is symbolic. Symbolic of the restoration. He's restoring him to sonship. Not, he said, no, 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 no. None of this servant business. You're my son. Put a robe on him. Put sandals on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. And then look at the next thing he says. Go to that next verse. And kill the calf we've been fattening. Yeah, don't keep my wedding ring. Kill the fattened calf. We must celebrate with a feast. Because now it's not just enough that the son know that the father has restored him. He said, I want the whole community to know. I want everybody to know. That's why we're going to have a party. We're going to have a party to let everybody know my son is back and he's my son. And I'm proud of him. I'm going to show him off. It says, kill the fattened calf. Again, this shows, this shows powerful. Go back, go back to that verse. I know we got some farmers in the room. You know how you feel? How do you fatten a calf? You don't even have to be a farmer to answer this one. How do you fatten a calf? Bingo, you feed it. So imagine the father going out every day feeding this calf. Buddy, I love you, but guess what? Someday my son's going to come home and we're going to have a party. I'm going to barbecue you. Every day he gets up, he looks for his son to come home, he feeds this calf, and he goes, my son, he's coming home. We must celebrate with a feast. Next slide. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found, so the party began. Okay, son, you can go into the party. My son was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. I told you this whole story to get to this one point. We celebrate Christmas. Jesus came so the lost could be found and so the dead could be returned to life. That's why Jesus came, so the lost could be found and the dead be brought back to life. So if you've been lost, you can be found today. If you've been dead, you can be brought back to life today. And the other great thing is, every person that you interact with is someone for which 
Christ died, they're a lost person that needs to be found or they're a dead person that needs to be brought back to life. And that is the heart of our everlasting father. (laughs) That when the rebellious son comes home, he throws a party. That when the son or the daughter returns home, he throws a party. But now things shift again in this, in this scene. Go ahead and go to the next verse. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Next slide. And he asked one of the servants, what is going on? So this servant tells him, your brother's back. And your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And so naturally, the older brother ran on in and joined the party, right? Nope. The older brother was angry. Wouldn't go in. Stay here on this slide for a minute. Unfortunately, for too long, this has been a picture of the church. We're the angry older brother. Now, not the picture of community hope. Please don't misunderstand me. But, but I've been around church my whole life. And it's, that's unfortunate. And it still comes out. And this is, this, is, this is the minority. I'm grateful for that. But it's still an influence. Okay? When, when someone like Kanye West professes faith in Christ, you read the comments. Most of them are positive, but then you hear some negative. Well, who do they sound like? The angry older brother. Really? God's going to save him? Yeah. God's going to save him. Because he came so the lost could be found and the dead could be brought back to life. Imagine that that's his reaction. He's angry. It's all right. Now go to the next slide. His father came out and begged him, please, come on into the party. Next slide. All these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. You know what's interesting here is both the older son and the younger son somehow thought that that's what the dad wanted with servants. Dad didn't need any more servants. He wanted his sons. Both of them think that they need to be his servants. What did Jesus say? He said, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. Because, that, again, that culture at that time, that's what they thought they had to do. They just had to slave away to follow all the rules. You didn't even give me a young goat. Interesting that that's what this kid wants, but it was a goat. All right, go ahead and go to the next slide. Here's where the, the older brother exists. And we can tend to slip into this if you've been around the church for too long. Younger brother and older brother. It's dangerous to think that we have to earn God's blessings. Both of them are struggling with this. I'm no longer worried to be called your son, so I'll be your slave. I've slaved for you all these years. We tend to think that all God cares about us is us doing the right thing. If we do the right thing, he loves us, cares about us, and blesses us. If we don't do the right thing, he's mad at us, he curses us, and he, and he brings trouble into our life. It's dangerous for us as human beings to think that we have to earn God's blessings. That's what the younger son thought. I'm going to go home and be a really good servant. 
I'll earn the blessings. That's what the younger son thought. You know what the older son thought? Next slide. You know what's even more dangerous? To think we have earned God's blessings. To think that somehow God owes us something because of the way we've lived our lives. I'll just be honest. I've been times when I've got sucked into it. God, look. Look at all I'm doing for you. It's dangerous to think we have to earn God's blessings. It's even more dangerous to think that we have. And that somehow God owes us because of the good things we've done. That's where the older son, that's the attitude he's reflecting. Look at all I've done for you. Look at all I've done for you. And now this young, oh, he was angry. Let's go back to the story. Yeah, when this son of yours, <laughs> I love the way he says this. You ever have these interactions with your, with your spouse? That son of yours, and he ain't my child. When this son of yours, he didn't say brother, when brother comes home, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, he's letting him have it. You throw a party? Are you kidding me? Like, he should be beat. <laughs> and you're throwing a party for him? Where is the justice in this? He's crying out, demanding justice. Aren't we just like this? We want justice for everybody else. Well, let me give you a prime prime example. You ever get passed by a car going really fast, and then later you see him pulled over by a cop, and then you're driving by? (laughs) Get him! Throw the book at him! him Don't put him in jail. Put him under the jail. But then when we get pulled over, oh, Lord, give me mercy. Let the man have mercy on me. Let him be No, I don't want justice right now, Lord. I want mercy. We want mercy and grace for everybody, for me. Everybody else, give them justice, Lord. Give them justice. Those older brothers, how dare you? He squandered it all. Now you celebrate? Listen to the next thing the father says. This is interesting. The father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. The older son didn't realize what he had. Because let's go back in the story. Next slide. We're going to go back to a verse. His father agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. Do you realize when the younger son said, I want my portion of the estate, that's exactly what he did. The older son got the lion's share. He divided it up. He goes, all right, here's your share and here's your share. But the older son still acted as if he didn't have access to any of that. The younger son went out and wasted it all. For us, this is a picture of God's grace. And neither the older son nor the younger son knew how to (laughs) interact with grace. The younger son abused it. The older son refused it, but both misused it. The younger son abused it. Oh, I got the money, I'm going to go party. That's this attitude that we... I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand, but if you ever had the attitude of, sure, yeah, it, won't, it doesn't matter what I do. God's going to forgive me anyways. It's abusing grace. That's what the younger son did. He abused grace. The older son refused it. I don't need it. I'm good enough on my own. That's what the Pharisees were like. Like, no, I'm good. I don't need God's grace. They both misused it. And both didn't take advantage of it. 
Let's go back to the story. Your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. The father says, we had to celebrate. We had to. Your brother was dead. I thought he was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. That, my friends, is why we celebrate Jesus coming and being born in a manger, because Jesus came to be our heavenly Father, and the Father God came so the lost could be found and the dead could be brought back to life. The younger son was lost and needed to be found. The older son was dead and needed to be brought back to life. So where do you find yourself today? You can identify with any one of these characters because every single one of us have ran away from God at different times in our life. Maybe now's that time. Maybe you just happened to come to church today, but you feel it in your heart that you've been running. Jesus came so the lost could be found. Or maybe, maybe just a little bit, you struggle with that smug self-righteousness that somehow God owes you something. Maybe just maybe you get tempted to get sucked into that older brother. Guess what that does? That kills your heart. Beauty is Jesus came so the dead could be brought back to life. He came from both ends of the spectrum. That lost, younger, rebellious son, he came for him. That older son who thinks that it, God owes him something, he came for him too. Your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so, for if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe today's the day that you come home. If you are, What I want to encourage you is that we emulate the heart of the Father and that we embrace every lost person that comes home. That we do what the Father did. That we have a heart of love and compassion for those who are lost. That's what God's called us to do. Every day we interact with people who are lost and I think one of the only ways they will be found is that they see the heart of the Father God in us and that we're filled with love and compassion for them. That's the challenge to us. For those of us who have been found, that we would do everything within our power that more lost people could be found and that our dead heart could be brought back to life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up if they would. And I ask you today, where do you find yourself in this story? Are you the younger brother? And you've been lost. And it's time to come home. Are you the older brother? Where you find yourself struggling by looking around and just judging the people around you. Or is today, is God tugging on your heart that there's someone around you. They need to see and sense and experience the love of the Father God for them. And you're just the person to show it to them. I mean, no way promising you this would be easy. Imagine how much this hurt the father when his son left. Imagine the pain that he went through knowing that what he had worked his whole life for was just squandered and wasted. Imagine the pain. It cost the father to restore the son. It cost him. How much did it cost 
our Heavenly Father to restore us. Jesus gave it all. But the other part of the story that I think about that I think is fascinating to think about is this, is the next day. After the party was over, okay, and the young man gets up and he's kicking red solo cups around, you know, because the party's over. But he looks and he feels that that robe is still on him. Those sandals are still on his feet. And that ring is still on his finger. I, can't, I still can't believe it. I can't believe it. How much my dad loves me. I can't believe it. And so now the, the son who asked for everything from his father now says, I'm going to give everything for my father. Because now his, his service isn't out of some attitude that I have to earn the father's approval. I got it. I got it. So today, I, dad, what do you need? What can I do for you? His service now comes out of just gratitude and appreciation and just, just being overwhelmed by how much he doesn't deserve any of this. And so what's his natural response? Hey, Dad, what, what, what do you need? It's not to earn approval. It's because he knows he already has it. Somebody in this room needs to hear that today as well. Is that your life could be motivated out of response. Not somehow earning what God has for you. Out of response to what he's already given you. Would you stand with me? God, I, I said what you want me to say. I just believe with all my heart there's some lost people today that need to come home. There's some dead people today that need to come back to life. But the one part of this story that I didn't reference was that the only way the son could be restored was that he took the first step home. The only way the son could be restored was that he started to walk home. The father ran to meet him, but he had to take the first step. He had to own up for his sin and say, I want to come home. There's some people in this room today that need to come home. There's some dead people that need to come back to life. We're going to sing one final worship song together. And I'm going to challenge you to take a bold step this morning. I'm going to challenge you to take a really bold step. As we sing, if that's you, you're someone who's lost and needs to be found. Or you're someone dead and needs to come back to life. I'm going to ask you as we sing this song, would you make a very bold step? And would you step out of your seat? And would you come and kneel at this altar? Do you have to do that to be restored to God? Of course not. Do you have to do that to be forgiven? Of course not. But there's something powerful about us doing on the outside in response to what God's doing on the inside. And I know right now God's talking to some people. I know he is. 
So as we sing, would you respond? Would you have an an external response to what God's doing on the inside? Because you know what I want more than anything else? I want you to leave this place knowing (laughs) that the robe is on your back, the sandals are on your feet, the ring is on your finger, that you are an accepted child of God. I want you to leave with that powerful sense of God restoring your heart. If you were impacted by this sermon or if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Community Hope on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, communityhope.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next week.